Hi, this is Teddy, and today you're listening to my friend, Representative Sean Caston, on Two Broads Talking Politics. If you like podcasts with my mother, check out Unsung History, which tells the story of people and events in American history you might not know a lot about. Get your vaccine! Hello, everyone. I am Kelly. This is Two Broads Talking Politics. I am on with my co-host, Sophie. Hi, Sophie. Hey, Kelly. You've got the color-coordinated hair that matches our logo, so very good job on that. Yeah. (laughs) And we are joined by returning guest, Representative Sean Caston of the Illinois 6th District. Hi, Representative Caston. Hi, nice to see you. And uh, and Sophie, next time we do this, let me know and we'll color-coordinate together. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Uh, So uh, last time you were on the podcast, my son Teddy was interviewing you, and that was right before COVID hit. So it was the last time I did any interview. I think you were the last live interview we did actually oh well that's uh i'm not sure whether that's good or bad but uh but it's nice to be back yeah so uh we are talking to you today about hot FERC summer uh (laughs) which is excellent we're super excited about uh and it's working i think because uh i'll I'll tell you for one i'm a pretty wonky podcaster on a pretty wonky podcast (laughs) uh who spends a lot of time looking at congress and things like that and I had never spent any time thinking about FERC before now, and now I do. So yes. I, I think this is working. I, I would love to tell you that this was all carefully planned out, but to uh, you know, you know, if 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 I knew this would work, I would have done it a long time ago. You drop a couple Fergie lyrics, you know, in a sixty-second floor speech, and all of a sudden you're the top trending thing on People Magazine and national <laughs> media. But more importantly, like people are now like, wait, what is the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission? Why does it matter? And this stuff does matter. And if you if you care about climate, if you want to make sure that we get the ship turned around as quick as possible, um, uh, the F to the E to the R to the C is the place to be. <laughs> All right. So first question is just what is the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission? <laughs> um, so they are uh, essentially exactly what you would think they are. They are the agency that regulates our energy sector. Um, the, they are a down in the weeds organization. They are an independent agency. They are required by law to have five commissioners. No more than three can be from any appointed by any one party. Um, they were substantially held back under Obama because Mitch McConnell slowed the release of a lot of the ability to confirm a lot of his nominees, but they are the people who decide how will power rates be structured in our country? How will we make sure, you know, how much is it we going to allow for capital recovery? What sector is going to pay it? Where are we going to build transmission wires and gas pipelines? If you object to that, what's the process for objection and how are we going to make those decisions? That's These are really big, meaty issues. And if you want a clean power sector, if you want a reliable power sector, um, you those decisions are going to come down to this really important body that, uh, as I said in my my speech last week, hopefully a few more of you are now taking attention to. But for a long time, people weren't, you know, it was the most important climate agency, I think, that nobody's ever heard of. So why right now? Why um, sort of focus on FERC now? <laughs> well, candidly, a big part of the reason is because um, Neil Chatterjee, who was the chairman 
um, who was formerly um, formerly a staffer to McConnell. Um, and actually, I get along well with Mr. Chatterjee, and I think his, his head's in the right place. His term ended in June. Um, the, that means that there are now four people on FERC, two appointed by Republicans, two appointed by Democrats, and mm-hmm. we are not going to get any progress on anything that matters until there's a new appointment made. The, um, I know the president's got three people who he's considering nominating, but nobody's been nominated yet. And until that nominee is named, they can't be confirmed by the Senate. Until they're confirmed by the Senate, they can't start the hearings. Until they do the hearings, they can't make the rulings. And until they make the rulings, people are not going to change what they're building in the power sector. So it's really, really important to get that person named. And, uh, and that's, you know, ultimately is the big driver for why we wanted to bring some attention to the agency right now. So you're introducing a series of bills related to FERC. Uh, can you talk some about what the intention is behind those, what you hope to accomplish? You know, what what can Congress do to, to make things uh, really work well? Sure. So the, the, the first one um, was done uh, with Senator Heinrich, and I should give him credit. This is a bill that he, he's been pushing for a long time, which really relates to how we make sure that we build build the transmission wires that connect the different parts of our system, right? And, and you can see that tangibly, you know, when, when Texas had all those blackouts recently, Oklahoma didn't, right? Why, why didn't they? They had the same weather. El Paso didn't, which is in Texas. And the reason was because we, we have a network of different grids in the country, and we actually don't do a very good job of building the wires that connect those grids together. And, there's a lot of complicated reasons for that, which I can go into if you want, but FERC has the authority to fix some of that. So the first one is, is dealing with those interregional transmission issues. The second bill, the Energy Price Act, is a reintroduction of a bill that we crafted last term, which, which really addresses the fact that clean energy and cheap energy are synonymous. Um, if you put a solar panel on your roof, I can guarantee you will never go to bed at night and say, I better check what the price of power is tomorrow to see whether it makes sense to run my solar panel, right? Because it's because it's always going to be free. Ditto if you put more efficiency in your home, if you you know have a geothermal plant, wind turbine, et cetera, et cetera. The FERC has an obligation to keep energy costs low. They also have an obligation to keep energy prices reliable. And we're starting to hit this tension that as we keep building cheap energy, in other words, as we keep building clean energy, it's getting harder and harder to justify the investment in new energy sources. That's a great problem to have, but it's totally counterintuitive because we've been talking for years about how clean energy is expensive, which is just a dumb lie, period, full stop. It's cheap. That creates a problem because what will FERC do if there is not an incentive to build more energy sources? And so what we've done in the Energy Price Act is basically point out that because of some Supreme Court decisions, most recently the endangerment finding, um, FERC, I would submit, and with this bill, we'll have congressional support for it, that they have an affirmative obligation to preferentially make sure that clean energy is built. Um, So as they're figuring out how to go through, let's bring that forward, which is essentially saying, if you squint your eyes, we could create a carbon price in the electric sector just through FERC. We don't have to wait for congressional action. Um, So so that's a big piece of that one. And then the third one was the Right to Timely Rehearings Act, which essentially recognizes that there are a lot of of people who are affected by FERC rules. There are the the people who build the power plants. There are the people who um, depend on the energy from those assets. And there are the people on whose land you're going to run the transmission wire across or might be subject to eminent domain. And the right to timely rehearings is basically just trying to make sure 
that your your ability to have your voice heard is not a function of of how much money you have going into the process, if you will. Um, and you know, to make sure that you know, if, if you have a dispute, you can have a timely rehearing and not essentially be bogged down in in uh, mm-hmm. time time or money that you don't have. So, what do you want, uh, sort of everybody? How do you want everybody to be thinking about? promoting these, as you call them, wonky, <laughs> wonky bills about this wonky agency, you know, and obviously this sort of hot for summer is a, a way to get at that. But, you know, how, what's your advice for, you know, how we talk to our friends about this, how we talk to our family about this, how we get people really interested in this idea? Um, well, uh, you know, for start, I would not lead with the right to timely rehearings act. <laughs> That'll put him to sleep. You know, I, I think the most important thing is to recognize that the number one, that clean energy is cheap energy. And number two, that making a transition to a clean energy economy is hard, but it's hard for exactly the opposite of the reason you think it's hard. We've framed this for years as a, how are we going to equitably allocate the pain, the economic pain of that transition? And in reality, the challenge is how do you equitably allocate the gain of that transition, which is still hard, And that's what FERC can do. I mean, take what I was just saying. We build all this clean energy and the price of power falls because the way we've structured our markets, 100% of that benefit accrues to energy consumers. How do we make sure that energy producers still have an incentive to to build the assets that that we're going to need to keep that power, which is essentially saying, how do we take this pie, which per George W. Bush, the pie is higher, right? (laughs) How do we take that dollar pie? And make sure that that everybody gets a slice, right? And and that's a rate structure question that we can go through. How do we go through, um, you know, even in our, in our domestic politics, building clean energy is going to be hugely positive for Illinois, where I live. We got a lot of wind. We've got a lot of, a lot of industries that, that benefit when energy costs are cheaper. It's going to be real good. And indeed it has been good. It's been a boon to the region. It's not going to be so good for West Virginia. Right. West Virginia depends on on fossil energy extraction and and it's going to be hard for them. Well, given as we know, we are creating more gain than pain. How do we make sure that some of that gain is shared with West Virginians? Because they're also Americans. Right. And and we're going to have a pie to divide. But how do we think about how to do that? Those are really good problems to have. Right. But we need to approach this with a certain degree of humanity and making sure we're looking out for everybody. And, and by the way, if you want to make this really complicated, really, really complicated, but let's just sail into the hard stuff, I would submit to you that the same question between Illinois and West Virginia, you could say, is, is a tension between the United States and Iran, right? Um, and, and therein you have the international challenge with this. You know, why is Russia so hostile to a transition to clean energy? Because Russia's economy depends on fossil energy extraction. But that's a hard geopolitical problem. But I think if we can acknowledge that we're all humans and we're in this together and acknowledge that this is a win-win, we just have to make sure that we that the gains are shared equitably, then we get through this. So Hot for Summer is working for me because like Kelly, I had not, I'm kind of wonky, but I had not heard of work before. Do you find that it's working for uh, your fellow representatives in Congress? Are you seeing a lot of support for these uh, bills? Uh, oh, it is. It- <laughs> It is awesome and frankly, so darn funny. Um, I've had, you know, I've had members like, you know, uh, Jan Schakowsky, um has a bill um, that's been out there that for, for a while that she's led. 
to create an office of public participation at FERC. And she's just been delighted because she's been doing the same thing. Of how do I get people talking about this? And all of a sudden, like hashtag Ferkalicious kind of blows up on you, right? So, <laughs> so that's been great. I've had I've had some other members who I won't name who approached me in the cloakroom last week and said. They said, what the heck is Fercalicious? Because it seems to be blowing up. Um, everybody in leadership is saying we got to understand what this is, and I don't understand what it is. So it gives an opportunity to educate some of my colleagues about that as well, right? And uh, and then I think my favorite conversation was I was recently getting in an elevator, and uh, this woman got on and said, everyone in our office is loving Hot Ferk Summer. And I said, oh, that's great. Where do you work? And she said, the White House. <laughs> so, yeah. But more importantly, what do your teenage daughters think of this? <laughs> the, uh, you know, there are, I think in general, they see their role appropriately as keeping my ego in check. And so uh, the they are usually the first one to say, um, I, you know, oh, dad thinks he got some retweets, you know, woo, woo, woo. Um, and that's appropriate for them to say that. You know, that said, they were they were pretty psyched that it was the Daily Show's moment of end last night. <laughs> the, uh, you know, it's starting to touch some uh, communication channels that resonate with them, which like, you know, as a family perspective, that's cool. But, you know, if I just sort of generalize that my daughters are, you know, 14 and 16 year olds who are the ones who are who are going to you know bear the costs if we don't get this right. Um, and that the, the channels they that they listen to are now talking about this. That's awesome. Right. I believe the children are our future. <laughs> so I, one thing I think I, you know, Sophie asked earlier, why, why now? And, you know, the, there's lots of answers to that, but I, you know, part of the answer of course is, as you said in one of your floor speeches, like, this is it. This is the last moment. Like the best time to take care of this would have been decades ago, but yeah. we didn't. Yeah. And so now we have to. So how, that's the other piece of this. I think that I want to to help people understand. You know, as I'm talking to to friends and family, as I'm talking to my kids about what to do about this, is is the true urgency. And it's finally a little bit easier for people to see because we see these terrible weather events that are happening. We see the the grid shut down in Texas, but you know how how urgent is it, and how do we get that urgency across? So this is, I got to be careful how I respond because the, what's hard about that question is that if it's very easy to lose hope mm-hmm. and I, and I don't want, I don't want to cause people to lose hope because we, we have the potential to turn the ship around, but what is scientifically necessary is so far beyond what anybody thinks is politically possible right now. And we've got to get people to understand that we knew you know, and I've, I've said this before, and thank you for saying that, you know, the best time to act was 30 years ago. And, you know, when Jim Hansen testified before the Senate, what was that, 87, I think? And they basically said, you know, at one and a half degrees of warming, we're going to be in a bad way and we're in a trajectory to get there. We're now one degree of the way there. So we are two thirds of the way to that future. And his, <clears throat> that science has been politicized and demonized and misrepresented. And as a result, we haven't we haven't meaningfully acted. And so now here we are two thirds of the way to that point that we warned is going to be irreversible. And we've now got large chunks of America saying, I don't like the fact that, that my entire community is on fire. I don't like the fact that if I want to continue to live in Miami beach, I'm going to have to figure out how to fund a huge seawall, which is going to be too short 50 years from now. Um, 
the we've got people who are you know seeing you know daytime flooding we've got the you know lake michigan has had you know it's all-time high water mark and it's all-time low water mark within 12 months of each other so people are now seeing tangible this is no longer just just the pointy-headed nerds talking people are seeing tangible evidence and the problem which is so scary is that those changes in many cases are irreversible <clears throat> it takes we will in my lifetime you know, melt all the glaciers in Glacier National Park. It'll take thousands of years to rebuild them, right? Even if we went backwards today. The the last time CO2 levels were this high in the atmosphere, sea levels were 50 feet higher. The The scientific models are very clear, and they've done a very good job of predicting where the temperature is going to go. And we know that there still is the same amount of water and you know on the globe as there was then. So we know that we're going to have 50 feet higher sea levels. The models are a little harder to predict timing, but there's a broad consensus that by 2050, we can count on at least two feet more sea level rise, even if we went to zero CO2 tomorrow. At two feet of sea level rise, Miami Beach is gone. Most of Florida is gone. Um, good chunks of Washington, D.C. are gone. Lower Manhattan is gone. These, these are like, these are so, and this is within our lifetime, right? It is coming. So what are we going to do, Right. Um, can we do things on mitigation? You know, can we build seawalls? Can we provide some resources to help people move to higher ground in a managed way rather than waiting for them to be angry? Because if you want to know what it looks like if people get angry, look at Syria, right? You saw a huge desertification of Northern Africa and lots of people got angry because they couldn't feed themselves. Um, the, the consequences are frightening. Now, I said I don't want to wallow too much in the losing hope, but that is the that is the reality we've gotten into. 50% of all the carbon dioxide we have ever emitted as a species since the first caveman built a fire a million years ago, 50% of all the CO2 we've ever emitted has been since 1991, right? Back to the Future was five years out of the movie theaters, <laughs> right? These numbers are, are like you can't really contemplate how quick that's going. Now, the optimistic side is that is to come back to what I said before. If we want to turn the ship around, we can do it and generate a ton of money, right? <laughs> there is no good reason not to act. It is in our economic self-interest to act. It is in our environmental self-interest to act. It is in our moral self-interest to act. So, so let's get off the ball and start doing what's necessary and not just patting ourselves on the back because we, we got some, uh, in the words of Winston Churchill, some baffling half measure across the line. This is a related question. Uh, how do we get people to buy into taking action now when they won't see sort of some of the positive uh, changes um, in their lifetime, maybe even? Uh, how do we, because we're really good as a country at reacting to things like, you know, a pandemic happening now. We're not so good at, say, investing in a um, in, in preparation for that kind of thing in the future. So what, how, do we, how do we message this? How do we get people to buy into making these investments now? Well, so I'm a, I'm a firm believer that you should talk to people in the language that they understand, right? The, because you can have a huge difference in your life right now. We just got to pick the language we use. Um, you know, let's say that you love um, having money in your pocket and you love having a, uh, you know, a muscle car, consider buying an electric vehicle. It's pretty awesome. The acceleration's awesome. <laughs> and, and you're going to have more money in your pocket because you don't have to pay nearly as much for fuel, right? Um, and that's direct, tangible benefits you can have right now. Um, 
if you, you know, if you like having, you know, more money and a less drafty home, you know, put in some more efficient windows, <laughs> you, you know, you, you can do all those things. Maybe, maybe national security is your big issue. Well, we got a, we got a crisis on our border because Honduras got hit with two hurricanes and in, in short order and caused a huge refugee caravan. It's not the only reason we got a crisis on our Southern border, but it's a big part of it. Right. So if national security is your issue, let's talk about how we address this from a national security perspective. Maybe health is your big issue. We got tropical diseases that are moving into subtropical regions um, as it gets warmer and warmer. Let's make our health system better, right? We, we can do all those things can have direct tangible influence. And, it, and it, again, it, it, it comes from the fact that we've talked about this wrong for 30 years and said that there's a trade-off. There is no trade-off. The only trade-off is it is a massive wealth transfer from energy producers to energy consumers. Last time I checked, every single American consumed energy. A tiny minority of them produce energy. Take take that take that trade every time. So I have a guest here who wants to say hi. Hey, say hi to me. Teddy, how are you? Hi, good. Nice to see you again. Nice to see you too. Are you excited to be getting back to school soon? Hopefully, no. (laughs) (laughs) He's honest. (laughs) Oh, there you go. There you go. How's your summer been? Put it that way. Good. Yeah. Have you have you been able to get outside and play with your friends a little bit? Uh outside? Yes. Yeah. Oh, Not okay. as much on the water. Yeah. Well, well, that's good. Hey, be, being outside beats uh beats playing playing video games online. That, that that's not what I think. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm doing my best here. <clears throat> Anything on your mind? Any questions that you got, Teddy? No, no. You you had a question about the. Oh right. Uh, well, I don't know how to phrase this. So I, Teddy saw a magazine article about a flying car, and he was wondering if you knew anything about the future of flying cars. I didn't wonder about it. <laughs> I uh, I don't know much about the future of flying cars, other than that the uh, if we were to invent flying cars, I, well, here's. I would love to have flying cars if only I owned a flying car because they'd be like super efficient. I question whether I want everybody having a flying car because they might be flying over my yard, um, you know, interrupting my picnics. <laughs> so I don't know how all that's going to work. Um, but I, I don't, <clears throat> I think we're a long way from having flying cars. Well, um, in the magazine article, it was called the air car and it could transform from a, working airplane to a working car in two minutes and 15 seconds. Wow. Wow. Probably costs like a billion dollars though, right? (laughs) Yes. It's probably not very fuel efficient also. That'd be my guess. That too. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, Teddy. Thanks, Teddy. Nice (laughs) to see you. Hey, uh, today's, uh, I know you're, today's Barack Obama's birthday. Send him a note. Oh yeah. Say hi to to President Obama. Just because last time we talked, I know he said that he wanted to he wanted to interview Obama next. I don't know if that ever came through, but on the chance you're that did not yet come through, uh, Barack Obama, if you're listening, Teddy <laughs> <laughs> wants to interview you. He also wants to interview Oprah. So Oprah, if you're listening, <laughs> okay, all right. I'm sure she is. I'm sure she is. 
So uh, I have one unrelated to climate change question for you, and that is how can we get more people in this country to accept that getting vaccinated is uh, important right now and uh, and can be the way out of what is clearly a worsening Delta, Delta plus Lambda spike that uh, is going to once again disrupt our lives? It's it's so tragic, isn't it? I mean, the the... You know, the, the fact that we, the best predictor of what's going, whether or not you're going to be exposed to Delta at this point is increasingly, you know, the local politics in your region, right? The, I don't know if you saw Harvard School of Public Health um, does this analysis of the, the vaccination rates by congressional district. And okay. the, the top 30 congressional districts are all, are all Democratic and the bottom 30 are all Republican. And, you know, I, that's not because Republicans are, are dumb or not science affirming, but they've basically taken a political decision to, to, to oppose science, right? And so now you've got people dying, you know, Florida, Florida is overwhelming their hospitals, all to own the libs, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, in the, you know, as someone representing a, a kind of a purpley district, you know, I certainly do whatever I can to try to let people know the importance of getting vaccinated, that I got vaccinated, that it's safe, that kids are vaccinated. Um, but I still walk around and I see people with these, you know, who I know are not getting vaccinated with signs saying, you know, unmask the kids, you know, which is basically saying not only am I not vaccinated, but but I, I would like our kids to please be trans agents transmitting this disease. And it's deadly. Right. And, you know, so the ultimate answer is we we really, really need Republican leaders who are respected by the Republican electorate to, to decide that they are capable of leadership. Right. And, and, and I, and I say that because, you know, I've had, I've had conversations with my friends across the aisle who said, well, I can't really lean in on this because, you know, it, I'll lose the base. Right. And this is where the base is. And my comment to them is, you know, when you ran for this office, did you say I'm incapable of leading people or is that just a decision you've come to later on? Right. Yeah. Stand up and lead. No one's no one's going to fault you for saying I want you to live. Right. Or that the Enlightenment was a step forward in human progress. And I, I don't mean to make it political, but I think the challenge is that as long as we pretend it's not political, we're not addressing what at this point is the primary risk factor for transmission. The way that we make Delta go away is everybody gets vaccinated, period. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, if you're not vaccinated, wear a mask, social distance, because you can also make Delta go away that way. The way that we make sure that Delta continues to spread and continues to evolve into, you know, even more dangerous, um, you know, subspecies is to not get vaccinated, not wear a mask and go around and just become, you know, a, a human Petri dish. I can't imagine there's anyone listening or watching uh, that isn't vaccinated. Um, but if for some reason you're not, uh, don't do it for us. Do it for Teddy because Teddy <laughs> is too young to be vaccinated. And it's yeah. terrifying uh, to me. Uh, Teddy and Arthur, Sophie's son, uh, they're all too young. So please, yeah. please. <laughs> no, and just like, you know, I'd encourage everybody, like, go read the Sermon on the Mount. Right. You know, we, we you know, look out for the least of us. Right. The yeah. blessed are the meek. The maybe you can't, maybe there's good reasons you can't get vaccinated. Um, maybe you're, you know, you're an organ transplant recipient and the vaccine just doesn't work very well on you because you're on immunosuppressants. Um, if that's the case, wear a mask, 
right? Keep yourself healthy and make sure you're not spreading it to others. And you won't have to do it forever any more than you had to do it forever for, you know, polio and smallpox and mumps and tetanus. But we just have to get up to that herd immunity. Um, and, you know, and yeah, do it for, do it for Teddy, do it for, you know, everybody who's got kids who, you know, can't yet get the vaccine and for folks who are medically not going to be able to take the vaccine. Yeah. I'd like to believe I could just convince you to do it for yourself. Um, but if that's not sufficient, do it for the greater good. All right. Well, we've got to let you go because you have another meeting. Uh, but thank you so much for joining us again. And uh, how can people uh, one last time get involved in Hot Fork Summer? You know, wh- what do you want them to tweet? You know, <laughs> what well, should we be doing know, now? <laughs> this, this is the point where I would say, you know, follow us on all of the social media channels. Um, I think Repcasting is the official one. And we're on Twitter and Instagram and other platforms that I don't understand. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we are always open for uh, for new ideas of how we can continue to amplify this. Um, and so if you've got, you know, I, I, somebody said the other day that they'd love to see a, a Rihanna reference, Ferk, 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 Ferk. No promises, but, you know, we're open to good suggestions and, you know, and, and you know, Fergie, Megan, if you're listening, um, you know, let's, let's collaborate. Uh, maybe I, I got some original material I could offer up. Maybe you could, uh, you'd work on that. Um, all right. Excellent. We'll put links to all your social media awesome. on our website so people can find that and follow along and retweet too. Awesome. So thank you. Great to see thank you both. You. Great to see you, Teddy, if you're still off screen there. <laughs> Take care. Thank you for listening to Two Broads Talking Politics, part of the Dimcast Podcast Network. Our theme song is called Are You Listening? off of the album Elephant Shaped Trees by the band Immunuri, and we're using it with permission of the band. Our logo and other original artwork is by Matthew Wethlin and was created for use by this podcast. You can contact us at twobroadstalkingpolitics at gmail.com or on Twitter or Facebook at Two Broads Talk. You can find all of our episodes at twobroadstalkingpolitics.com or anywhere podcasts are found.